we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Well, let's look together this morning in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 1. Philippians chapter number 4 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Euodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. I want you to note the word we see in verse number nine, just two letters. We find it right in the heart of the ninth verse. It's the word do, do. Maybe circle that, or if you would, if you're taking notes, just write that word at the top of the page, do. You see, that's the breakdown in so many lives. Oftentimes, our failure is not that we do not know what to do. It's just that we simply do not do it. It's that we don't do it. And uh, we find that in this breakdown, there is a lot of pain. There are many consequences. And as Paul has been exhorting the church here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, he's exhorting them to stand fast. We see that in verse 1. He says, so stand fast in the Lord. Stand firm. Uh, a picture is that of a lighthouse with the waves crashing and beating upon it. And that lighthouse is bearing the brunt of the forces of, of the weather and the storm. And of course, we we just pause here to note the damage that's been done in Kentucky and uh, entire towns completely flattened and uh, up to possibly 70 people in one plant who may have perished and uh, they cannot find them and uh, lots of missing people and damage in Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas and Illinois and other places. And uh, we, Pause this morning, uh, this morning rather at eight thirty to pray for them, and we continue to pray for God's uh, protection and, and blessing on the workers and those who uh, need to be rescued. And uh, but this wind was an incredible force, 
And it seems that the forces of the winds of sin and iniquity in our world are pressing down upon us. The forces of fear and anxiousness, uh, the forces of wickedness and oppression, spiritually speaking. And so Paul is exhorting the Philippian church to stand fast, to stand firm. In verse number two and three, he tells us that we're to stand fast in our partnership. We're to stand together. I'm glad that we can stand together. We have the Lord with us, and we are here together as a church family, and we suffer through things together, and we enjoy blessings together. We are in this together, and we we help one another. In verse four, he uh, exhorts them to stand fast in their praise, rejoice in the Lord always. In verse 5, in their propriety, speaking here of moderation, this is their proper behavior and their proper response. Uh, it seems that everyone uh, in, in our world, at least everyone is too, too strong a word to use, but many in our world uh, have, have such a volatile attitude and response to problems today. Our nation is full of violence and full of anger. So he says, let your moderation be known proper behavior, fitting behavior. That also deals with the question of morality. Verse 6, then he says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer. Stand fast in prayer. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Verse 7, he exhorts us to stand fast in peace. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds. And then in verse 8, stand fast in pondering, in your thinking. He tells us to think on the things uh, that are honest and just and true and pure and lovely, the things that are of good report, uh, to help stay our minds in in the midst of all of uh, the chaos of our world, not to think on the things that are negative and impure, but to think on the things that are positive positive. And righteous, not the things that are false or fake, but the things that are true. And then he comes to verse 9 and he says, Stand fast in practice. That's the title of this message Stand fast in practice. Do what it is you've been taught to do. It's almost as if we hear a, a football coach as he is encouraging his players. They've been through practice all week. They've, they've watched film and they've had someone explain to them the game plan. And in their practice, they've tried to carry out the game plan. And now they're about to take the field. They're about to leave the locker room and they're about to enter on into the field where they will uh, have the contest. This is similar, I think, or an illustration, adequate uh, illustration of, of, of the thought here because Paul has been teaching, uh, as, his rhetor- as his letter has been read to the church at Philippi, we can see them, much like we see this church tonight or this morning gathered here in Hickory, uh, as we have come together in this meeting place, we're, we're reading this letter. There was a time when they met together. Maybe it was in the house of, of Lydia, and maybe perhaps by then they were meeting in a different place. But 
they were seated much the way you are, and someone was reading this letter from the Apostle Paul. And they were almost, if you note here, there are only about 14 verses remaining after we complete verse 9. So just, it won't be very long before uh, they may dismiss. They may bow their heads and have prayer, and they may dismiss and uh, give some greetings to one another, and then... uh, go back to their homes and back to their daily life. Before they do that, Paul reminds them of some important truths to help them stand fast in practice, to actually put into practice what they have been learning, not only on that day when that letter was read, but what they had been learning since Paul had come into town and preached the gospel to them at Philippi. She exhorts them to stand fast in practice, to take what it is that you have learned and to live it. That's what we're here to do. We're here today to learn, and then we're leaving, and we're going to live it. At least that's what God desires for us. So let's note a few things, would you? I think there are three uh, important truths uh, which will help us if we remember them as we strive to stand fast in practice. First of all, I want you to see the truths we perceive. The truths we perceive. Notice in verse 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. Those things that are mentioned here in the opening of verse 9 are the things that Paul taught them, the truth of the gospel, the revelation of the word of God, and the doctrines that he taught them. He said, I want you to to learn them. In fact, you have learned them. You've learned a great deal. And not only have you learned them, but you have received them. You have taken them into your possession and made them your very own. You have heard them and you have seen them in me. You see, all of these things are contributing factors to the fact that they perceived, that they understood the truth now, our understanding, our knowledge is important. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 2. It's very important what we're learning. And 2 Peter chapter 1 communicates this to us. Now, Peter is writing to the uh, Hebrew believers who've been scattered abroad, suffering great persecution. And he begins with a greeting. And then in verse 2, he says this, grace and peace Grace and peace be multiplied unto you, notice this, through the knowledge of God. God desires for you and I to experience his grace and his peace. Grace is giving to us that which we have not earned. It is unmerited favor. And this peace comes to us as a result also of this favor that God gives us, this grace that he extends to us. Uh, We are all deserving of his wrath because we're all sinners. But because of his grace, God imparts his love and his mercy to us. And so this grace produces peace in our heart, and it is multiplied. And how is it multiplied to a suffering group of people as as these people were suffering, as Peter wrote to them? It, It is multiplied to them through the knowledge of God. The more they know of God and of Jesus our Lord, he says, 
verse 3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him. So through the knowledge of him, I have grace and peace. Through the knowledge of him, I have all things that pertain unto life and godliness. In every situation, in every circumstance, in every role that I play, my sufficiency is of Christ. And as I know him and as I know his word and as he uh, as his word is at work in my life, I am equipped to do all things that he has called me to do. It tells us here in verse 3 that he has called us to glory in virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You see, what we know of God and what we understand of his word is important. That's why we're gathered this morning. That's why it's important for us to gather every time we have an opportunity because we hear the word of God proclaim. We hear, it, we hear the instruction. We learn more and more of Christ. And here he's speaking to them about these truths which they perceived. Now, Paul has been their teacher. He's been training them. And there are two aspects of this teaching that has caused them to have uh, this perception, this understanding of God's word and of the Lord. Two things that are important to us if this truth is to be communicated. Number one, teaching. Number two, training. We think of teaching as the classroom. We think of training as out on the field, you know, where the coach is with the players, and he's, he's showing them how, how to stand properly, and he's, he's showing them the proper techniques of, of how things are to be done on the, on the field. Well, that's what Paul is doing. He's doing it two ways. Number one, with his lesson plan. Number two, with his life plan. His lesson plan involves what they had learned and what they had received. Paul had been teaching them the truth of God's word. Let me just say this to you. It is incumbent upon us to be students of the word of God. Not only that we come and learn, as I just mentioned a moment ago, but that we also as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, that we realize that God has charged us with the responsibility to teach the next generation. Mom and dad, it's your primary responsibility to teach your children the truths of God's word. And Paul wrote to Timothy and he says, thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions. And Paul said, Timothy, you know me. You have observed me. You've heard my teaching, but you have also seen my manner of life and the things that I have experienced. And all of these things are important and consequential if we're going to hand our faith down to the next generation, if our kids are going to get a hold of this truth. Uh, studies have shown, I don't know if, if they can all be verified, but uh, they at least have claimed to us that 70% of, of children who are raised with the knowledge of Christ, and I use that term knowledge of Christ loosely, 70% of them by the time they finish their first year in college are leaving the church and leaving behind the truth they've been taught. What a heartbreaking statistic. What a heartbreaking statistic. 
You see, it's not enough just to teach them, but we have to teach them. We have to train them. We, we, have, to, we have to demonstrate to them that we are going to live what we say we believe. Because if we do not have any intention of living what we say we believe, and if we're not doing it, our kids can see through the emptiness of that claim. And if it doesn't become real to us, and if it isn't real in our lives, and the fact that it's demonstrated in the, uh, the sight and hearing of our children, then how can we expect them to understand and receive this thing as true and valid? You see, there are things that are taught, and then there are things that are received. He says, not only have you learned them, but you have, you have received them. You, you have to make it your own. And by the way, no parent can control that in the heart of their child. Think of Jesus, the greatest teacher, right? And yet he reproved them in Matthew 13 and said, you have ears to hear, but you do not hear. You have eyes to see, but you do not see. He says, you fulfilled the prophecy. When he said, this people's heart is wax gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes have closed lest any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. You see, we have a responsibility to respond to the truth of God's word. And even in the day of Christ, the greatest teacher, the son of God who spoke with authority and with power, there were those who would not receive it. May God open our hearts to receive his truth. The church at Thessalonica was commended by Paul, and he said this to them. He said in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You see, when we receive it as the word of God, it will effectually work in us. How do we measure if it is effectually worked in us? We measure whether or not it has effectually worked in us by the impact it has on our lives, by the change it makes in us in our daily living, and that it should be a measurable change, at least a difference that others can see in us. We need to recognize, as Paul said to the church, or as Paul said rather to Timothy, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That this truth that we teach, is this truth that we receive, is not to stop with us. It is to be communicated. It is to be taught to others. When you look around and see what's happening in the world and you think, how did we ever get here? And how can people believe such nonsense as what they're receiving today? what they're claiming, what they're professing to believe. The things that are so distant from the truth of God's word, I want to tell you how we got there. Because we quit practicing what we preach, and we quit preaching it. And they haven't heard it. How shall they hear? Except there be a preacher. 
It's our responsibility to proclaim this truth to the coming generation. It doesn't just stop with us. That's Paul's lesson plan. But then we see Paul's life plan. He said, you've, you've heard it and you've seen it. You've heard it with your ears. You've heard, it. you've heard my teaching. You've heard the reports about me. Others have talked about the way I live my life. That's what he said to Timothy when he said, you've fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, and afflictions. They'd heard about that. They, some of them had seen it with their own eyes. They had heard his communication, and here's what they knew about what he said. They knew that what he said, he backed up with his life. What a challenge that is to us. Then things seen. Not only did he speak it to them, but he showed it to them. And by watching him, they perceived what they should do. Now, in that Philippian church, now think about it again. They're meeting together. They're seated together in a room. Someone's reading the letter. Who's in the audience? Who's in the congregation? Well, we know there's a Philippian jailer there. What is his memory of Paul? What is his memory of Paul? Well, it's this. Uh, I had him. Uh, he was beaten. They beat him up pretty bad. They gave me the responsibility to, to put him in the, uh, you know, the most secure part of the prison and to bind him uh, hand and foot in the stock. And, and, and uh, you know, I wasn't going to let him go. And here it is midnight now, and I think everything's going to be fine and quiet. And I'm, I'm ready to go to sleep and, uh, you know, work out the rest of my shift, maybe make a few rounds, whatever it is I have to do. And then all of a sudden, I hear something I've never heard before. I hear two prisoners singing praise to God. That jailer heard that. You see, when, when Paul said this, you've heard it and seen it, I can think of that Philippian jailer going, amen, I heard it and I saw it. I, I want to imagine that there were some prisoners who were in there with him who saw Paul say, hey, do thyself no harm when he spoke to that jailer when he was about to take his own life. Do thyself no harm. We're all here. When that jailer came trembling in there and said, what must I do to be saved? I imagine some of those prisoners were listening intently. So I just imagine that some of them heard what he said and they saw what happened and how God had worked so mightily in his life. You see, the problems that you and I encounter on a daily basis, the things that we grumble and complain about, the things that we fuss and fume about in front of our wives and our children and our coworkers and our neighbors are opportunities for us to sing at midnight. Are we willing then to sing? Through his singing, he backed up what he said. And they got it. They perceived it. They understood it. They grasped it as it was taught them. The truths we perceive. Let me give you a second thought. The truths we practice. The truths we practice. Now let's look again at the verse. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, would you say the next word with me? Do. Do. As I said a moment ago, this is the breakdown for so many of us, right? Oh, I know what to do. 
Yeah, but the problem is so few are willing to do it. In fact, that's what James said in James chapter 1 in verse 22 through 25. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, he sees himself in the mirror, and he goes his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. That's the key. He continueth therein. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man should be blessed in his deed. We come to church every Lord's Day, and we hear the Bible preach. We come to a Sunday school class or a Wednesday night discipleship class or whatever the case may be, and we hear the Word of God proclaimed. And the Word of God is given to enlighten us, to instruct us, and to teach us concerning the things that we should do. We're hearers of the Word. I mentioned this morning uh, with the advent of technology and uh, applications and the uh, we have the live stream and uh, the archive messages and sermon audio and podcasts uh, and books today. You can read the great preachers of the past. You can hear the great preachers of the present. There are so many sermons available to us. There is so much knowledge that we can acquire. But what good will these sermons do us if we never put them into practice? That's what this word do means. It means practice. We speak of a lawyer as one who practices law. It means every day in his occupation, he's studying the law and applying it. What does a doctor do? He applies the principles of medicine. It's a practice, a medical practice, every day doing that which he's been trained to do in order to bring healing to the lives of people. What are you and I involved in? It ought to be a spiritual practice of obedience to Christ and to his word, not just to talk about the things that we know and entertain ourselves with all the notions that we have about it, but to actually live it out in a daily way that's visible for people to see. To live it out in the examination room when the doctor gives us the news we do not want to hear. To live it out uh, in, in, around the family dinner table when we're discussing the hard issues of, of life. To, to live it out in a counseling session with a, with a teacher and a child when we're talking about problems and discipline. To, to live it out in the job when we have a, an employer who isn't particularly kind to us or a fellow employee who who uh, gives us a hard time to, to live it out in the context of the disagreements of our marital life. As our children are watching us, as our neighbors are watching us, to live it out when all we hear in this world is gloom and doom, when around the corner is some variant of some new virus that we're all going to catch. When another leader has fallen, when another social problem arises, how do we respond to it? 
by practicing, by obeying, by doing those things that we have been taught, not by the world, but by the Word of God. If we're going to do this, it's going to require discipline. It requires discipline to get up, get dressed, get the children dressed, and get to church. But it's worth it. And when you don't have the discipline to do that, you're teaching your children they don't need to do that. And then in 10, 15 years, when you don't understand why they're going the direction they're going and why they have no heart for God, it might be good for you to remember what's happening today. It requires discipline to read the Bible. It requires discipline to pray. It requires discipline in the midst of, uh, of all the uh, surprises of life and the dreadful circumstances that come for us to remember the truth that God has taught us and to fall back upon it and to practice it in that moment. If we're going to stand, we must learn the value of spiritual discipline or we'll lose our balance and we won't stand. We'll lose our stability and we'll begin to falter. If we're going to maintain the proper balance in our spiritual life, our attitude and our actions must line up with the Word of God, and we must work to bring them in line with the Word of God. So the truths we practice. Let me give you a third thought. The truth he has promised. God said, there's some things you need to understand. There's some things you need to know. And then once you have learned these things, you need to put these things in practice in your daily life. And let me give you a promise, God says. Look at it. Verse 9. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen, that's the understanding, do, <laughs> that's the practice. Here's the promise. And the God of peace shall be with you. And the God of peace shall be with you. You see, when I, when I look around me and I see what's happening in this world, I don't see a lot of peace, do you? I don't hear a lot of people talking about, well, I'll tell you what, we, you know, we've got this virus, but I, I, I'm at peace about this. I'm at rest about it. We have all this political upheaval in our nation, but, but I'm looking to Jesus. I don't hear a lot of that. Now, I, I hear some of that, but I, I don't hear a lot of that. And you could apply it to any circumstance you're dealing with. Here's the promise God has made to us, that he, the God of peace, is with us. Sometimes I get anxious. I, I, I get concerned. Um. about ministry, about my family, about people that I love, many of you and what you're dealing with. And I can get a little anxious. I can get a little worked up. Can you get a little anxious? Can you, can you get a little worked up? I was driving in my car the other night thinking about some things, and I was not at rest at all. But do you know who was with me in that car? The God of peace. 
And with his caring, concerning hand, he just reached over. Now, not literally, but figuratively. Patted me on the leg and said, hey, everything's okay. Do you think God is troubled by, I mean, really, that he's, his peace has been disturbed by uh, what's happening in our nation? Now, I think his heart is touched, but I don't think his peace is disturbed one bit. Do you? No, I know it isn't. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's okay. You see, what's happening in our world is exactly what God said would happen. It is the result of a nation that turns its back on God. Judgment is coming to our nation. In fact, it's already here. It's already here. And though we live in it, and though we witness it, and though we're watching it, our hope is in the Lord, in the truth of his word, in the promise of his coming. And the presence of God who is with us. And that peace that Paul mentioned here in verse 7, which passeth all understanding, shall guard and keep and garrison your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. That peace is available to me. And that peace enables me to stand and to do what God has called me to do. As a husband, as a father, as an employee or employer, whatever it is, a wife, a mother, a student, a child, whatever position and role in life you're occupying at this current moment, you need the Lord. You need to understand his word. You need to practice it. And you need to allow his peace to rule in your heart. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.